0: Attraction research W A R War, War. Uh, Stock Interest Wealth Attraction Research W A R War Stock Interest You're Listening To Wealth Attraction Research W A R War Stock Interest Presented By Hakim Alibokis Alexander on Spreaker, Social Podcasting, Wisdom, Social Audio Inc., and Call In, Social Podcasting, presented for World Reading Club in association with ExercisingYourMind.com and Uniquilibrium. This edition's reading focus comes to us once again from The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith, published in 1776. This is chapter four of book two, which the full title is Of Stock Lent at Interest. I'm going to get through this as quickly as possible in under an hour, hopefully under 30 minutes. It's a short chapter. And uh, this is looks like so far at a first glance at it that it's picking up from the previous chapter, which was uh, about productive and unproductive labor. And it was, that one was called of the accumulation of capital or of productive and unproductive labor. So I'll make some commentary along the way if it, uh, if it should strike me to do so. And here we go. All right. So of stock let, lent at interest. The stock which is lent at interest is always considered as capital by the lender. He expects that in due time it is to be restored to him and that in the meantime, the borrower is to pay him a certain annual rent for the use of it. The borrower may use it uh, either as ca- a capital or as a stock reserved for immediate consumption. If he uses it as a capital, he employs it in the maintenance of productive laborers who reproduce the value with a profit. He can, in this case, both restore the capital and pay the interest without alienating or encroaching upon any other source of revenue. If he uses it as a stock reserve for immediate consumption, he acts the part of a prodigal and dissipates in the maintenance of the idol, what was destined for the support of the industrious. He can, in this case, neither restore the capital nor pay the interest without either alienating or encroaching upon some other source of revenue, such as the property or the rent of land. So here, of course, he's Adam Smith is talking about, hey, Tony, how you doing? And uh, hello over on Wisdom, Andrew Johnson and Heather uh, Fark, uh, Fark, Farkuharson, you can tell me how to pronounce that name if I got it incorrectly. Um, but uh, basically this is, you can use the money to invest or just spend on luxuries, which is, Adam Smith has said over and over again, is a big no-no. Continuing, the stock which is lent at interest is no doubt, so the stock which is lent at interest is no doubt occasionally employed in both these ways, but in the former, much more frequently than in the latter, The man who borrows in order to spend will soon be ruined and he who lends him will gradually have occasion to repent of his folly. To borrow or to lend for such a purpose therefore is in all cases where gross usury is out of the question contrary to the interest of both parties and though it no doubt happens sometimes that people do both the one and the other yet from the regard that all men have for their own interest we may be assured that it cannot happen so frequently as are, as we are sometimes apt to imagine. Any, ask any rich man of common prudence to which of the two sorts of people he has lent the greatest, the greater part of his stock, to those who he thinks will employ it profitably or to those who will spend it idly. And he will laugh at you for proposing the question, even among borrowers, therefore, not the people in the world most famous for frugality, the number of the frugal and industrious surpasses considerably that of the prodigal and idle. The only people to whom stock is commonly lent, without their being expected to make any very profitable use of it, are country gentlemen who borrow upon mortgage. Even they scarce ever borrow merely to spend. What they borrow, one may say, is commonly spent before they borrow it. They have generally consumed so great a quantity of goods advanced to them upon credit by shopkeepers and tradesmen that they find it necessary to borrow at interest in order to pay the debt. The capital is borrowed the capital borrowed replaces the capitals of those shopkeepers and tradesmen, which the country gentlemen could not have replaced from the rents of their estates. It is not properly borrowed in order to be spent, but in order to replace a capital which had been spent before. Almost all, that's like credit cards, right? And then you have to pay back the credit cards, and sometimes people take out loans to do that. Continuing, almost all loans at interest are made in money, either of paper or of gold and silver. But what the borrower really wants, and what the lender really supplies him with, is not the money, but the money's worth, or the goods which it can purchase. If he wants it as a stock for immediate consumption, it is those goods only which he can place in that stock. If he wants it as a capital for employing industry, it is from those goods only that the industrious can be furnished with the tools, materials, and maintenance necessary for carrying on their work. By means of the loan, the lender, as it were, assigns the borrower his right to a certain portion of the annual produce of the land and labor of the country to be employed as the borrower pleases. The quantity of stock therefore, or as it is commonly expressed of money, which can be lent at interest in any country is not regulated by the value of money, whether paper or coin, which serves as the instrument of the different loans made in that country, but by the value of that part of the annual produce, which as soon as it comes from the ground or from the hands of the productive laborers is destined not only for replacing a capital, but such a capital as the owner does not care to be at the trouble of employing himself. So it's their spare money, right, of course? Banks make that a little bit differently, okay. Continuing, as such capitals are commonly lent out and paid back in money, they constitute what is called the moneyed interest. It is distinct, not only from the landed, but from the trading and manufacturing interests. As in these last, the owners themselves employ their own capitals. Even in the moneyed interest, however, the money is, as it were, but the deed of assignment, which conveys from one hand to another those capitals which the owners do not care to employ themselves. Those capitals may be greater in almost any proportion than the amount of the money which serves as the instrument of their conveyance. The same pieces of money successfully serving for many different loans as well as for many different purchases. A, for example, lends to W, a thousand pounds, with which W immediately purchases of B, a thousand pounds worth of goods. B having no occasion for the money himself lends the identical pieces to X with which X immediately purchases of C another 1000 pounds worth of goods C in the same manner and for the same reason lends them to Y who again purchases goods with them goods with them of D In this manner, the same pieces, either of coin or paper may, in the course of a few days, serve as the instrument of three different loans and of three different purchases, each of which is in value equal to the whole amount of those pieces. What the three moneyed men, A, B, and C, assign to the three borrowers, W, X, Y, is the power of making those purchases. In this power, consists both the value and the use of the loans. The stock lent, by the three moneyed men is equal to the value of goods which can be purchased with it and is three times greater than that of the money with which the purchases are made. Those loans, however, may, all perfectly, may be all perfectly well secured, the goods purchased by the different debtors being so employed as in due time to bring back with the profit an equal value either of coin or of paper, and as the same pieces of money can thus serve, as the instrument of different loans to three or for the same reason to 30 times their value, so they may likewise successively serve as the instrument of repayment. A capital lent at interest may in this manner be considered as an assignment from the lender to the borrower of a certain considerable portion of the annual produce upon condition that the borrower in return shall during the continuance of the loan, annually assigned to the lender a smaller portion called the interest, and at the end of it, a portion equally considerable with that which had originally been assigned to him, called the repayment. The money, either coin or paper, serves generally as the deed of assignment both to the smaller and to the more considerable portion. It is itself altogether different from what is assigned by it. The the one main thing I'm pulling out of this, though, is uh, what should be paid attention to is how the borrowed money by the borrower is being used, either productively or unproductively. And there are a few things that I'm narrowing in on and finding to be quite important more than a lot of the other things. But these are are details uh, worth looking into, especially since I'm reading the book from cover to cover. Um, in order to get a better understanding in general of what Adam Smith wrote about and capitalism, free market capitalism overall. Continuing, in proportion, as that share of the annual produce, which as soon as it comes from the ground or from the hands of the productive laborers is destined for replacing a capital, increases in any country, what is called the moneyed interest, naturally increases with it. The increase, and see that it increases the interest of the country itself, the more that people would invest in something productive, even something that people might not consider to be immediately productive or having returns in education, uh, simply something buying and reading books, spending time reading books, is actually a really great investment. It allows you to look at the world in a different way and also gives you more freedom and ability to create new skills and things that can help you adapt to a very rapidly changing world, even they, though they be older books such as this. Um, a good example is, but a little bit in a different way, is how you may have never heard of a song before and listen to it for the first time. The song is new to you, even though it may be a very old song, but it still brings you some kind of pleasure. You enjoy it even though it's a much older song. So reading older so-called classic texts like this one may have some nuggets and things uh, that are helpful to you in the future. So it's a good thing to invest in education, reading in books because they pay dividends far greater than the initial investment. At least that is my experience continuing. In proportion as a share of the annual project, which as soon as it comes either from the ground or from the hands of productive laborers is destined for replacing a capital, increases in any country. What is called the money interest naturally increases with it. The increase of those particular capitals from which the owners wish to derive a revenue without being at the trouble of employing them themselves naturally accompanies the general increase of capitals or in other words, as stock increases, the quantity of stock to be lent at interest grows gradually greater and greater. As the quantity of stock to be lent at interest increases, the interest or the price which must be paid for the use of that stock necessarily diminishes, not only from those general causes which make the market price of things commonly diminish as their quantity increases, as supply and demand, but from other causes which are peculiar to this particular case. As capitals increase in any country, the profits which can be made by employing them necessarily diminish. It becomes gradually more and more difficult to find within the country a profitable method of employing any new capital. There arises in consequence a competition between different capitals, the owner of one endeavoring to get possession of that employment which is occupied by another. But upon most occasion, he can hope to jostle that other out of this employment, by no other means, but by dealing upon more reasonable terms. That means uh, undercutting somebody. He must not only sell what he deals in somewhat cheaper, but, uh, but in order to get it to sell, he must sometimes, too, buy it dearer. The demand for productive labor, by the increase of the funds which are destined for maintaining it, grows every day greater and greater laborers easily find employment, but the owners of capitals find it difficult to get laborers to employ. Their competition raises the wages of labor and sinks the profits of stock. But when the profits, see this is a crazy thing, this is one of the problems that people have um, with capitalism in general is because a lot of people call it exploitative because of the fact that business owners, or as they say here, the people that are employing people Are always looking for a way to make a bigger profit um, off of the money um, that they have uh, by lowering the wages, like he says here, right? That um, that as their their competition, right, the competition of getting laborers, their competition rages the wages of labor, wages of labor, and sinks the profits of stock. But when the profits which can be made by the use of capital are in this manner diminished, as it were, at both ends, the price which can be paid for the use of it, that is, the rate of interest, must necessarily be diminished with them. Mr. Locke, Mr. Law, and Mr. Montesquieu, as well as many other writers, seem to have imagined that the increase of the quantity of gold and silver in consequence of the discovery of the Spanish West Indies was the real cause of the lowering of the rate of interest through the greater part of Europe. Those metals, they say, having become of less value themselves, the use of any particular portion of them necessarily became of less value too, and consequently, the price which could be paid for it. This notion, which at first sight seems so plausible, has been so fully exposed by Mr. Hume that it is perhaps unnecessary to say anything more about it. The following very short and plain argument, however, may serve to explain more distinctly the fallacy which seems to have misled those gentlemen. He's talking about, of course, Mr. Locke, Mr. Law, Mr. Montesquieu, who imagined the increase in the quantity of gold and silver um, was the cause of lowering the rate of interest through the greater part of Europe. Before the discovery of the Spanish West Indies, 10% seems to have been the common rate of interest through the greater part of Europe. It has since that time, in different countries, sunk to six, five, four, and three percent. I was just talking to my sister today about this um, this interesting thing, which is just an inverse uh, relationship. When uh, where sometimes a borrower of money will benefit from lower interest rates, borrowing it, whereas savers of money will not because of the fact that. If you're saving and you have a lower interest rate, you're not getting as much money in interest applied to your savings account, Um, whereas that benefits a borrower because the lower the interest rate, the less money they have to pay back, but they can make more of a profit if they're using it profitably and productively. So continuing, let's suppose that in every particular country, the value of silver has sunk precisely in the same proportion as the rate of interest, and that... In those countries, for example, where interest has been reduced from 10 to 5%, the same quantity of silver can now purchase just half the quantity of goods which it could have purchased before. Hello, Akira. Uh, Could have purchased before. This supposition will not, I believe, be found anywhere agreeable to the truth, but it is the most favorable to the opinion which we are going to examine. And even upon the supposition, it is utterly impossible that the lowering of of the value of silver could have the smallest tendency to lower the rate of interest. So he's saying here that because there's, you know, again, supply and demand, the more silver and gold that came from the mines of the Spanish West Indies um, lowered the value of it, and because of that, it lowered the value of the interest. Um, but he's saying that it is utterly impossible that the lowering of the value of silver could have the smallest tendency to lower the rate of inter- interest. He continues, if a hundred pounds are in those countries now of no more value than fifty pounds were then, ten pounds must now be of no more value than five pounds were then. Whatever were the causes which lowered the value of the capital, the same must necessarily have lowered that of the interest, and exactly in the same proportion. The proportion between the value of the capital and that of the interest must have remained the same, though the rate had never been altered. By altering the rate, on the contrary, the proportion between those two values is necessarily altered. If a hundred pounds now are worth no more than fifty pounds were then, five pounds can now be worth no more than two pounds ten shillings were then. So two pounds ten shillings, uh, t- ten shillings, is um, two pounds ten shillings is half of five in this case. Let's see what we're we looking at here. Uh, yeah. All right. I um, just got a message from Bill over there. All right, so, uh, continuing. Mm-hmm. By reducing the rate of interest, therefore, from 10 to 5 percent, we give for the use of capital, which is supposed to be equal to one-half its former value, and interest, which is equal to one-fourth only of the value of the former interest. Any increase in the quantity of silver while that of the commodity circulated by means of it remained the same could have no other effect than to diminish the value of that metal. So again, he's restating that just because there's more of it, you know, supply and demand, right, when there's more of something, the, the price goes down. And he's saying it can have no other effect than to diminish the value of that metal. The nominal value of all sorts of goods would be greater, but their real value would be precisely the same as before. See, real value, again, has to do with the produce of the land and the labor of humankind. Its real value does not change to that people. People are hungry. People are thirsty. People need fresh uh, water, uh, uh, fresh air, clean water, and healthy food. And so the value of that to people is always going to be high. Uh, People are always going to need those things. Those things don't change, only the price of them changes because of the original uh, supply and demand of precious metals and things like that, which itself is arbitrary and um, fallacious in them having any real value at all. People will argue about that all the time and talk about gold and silver or God's money, but um, you'll still find out that it's not in the event of, Uh, Just again, I like to reference the movie uh, Mad Max where water was the highest value commodity for the most part. Um, And water has a high use value, whereas gold, silver, diamonds don't have a high use value except in technology, but if we look at a technology-stripped world, um, things like, again, uh, fresh air, clean water, and healthy food are going to be the commodities as well as means of self-defense and hunting and things like that. Right. So, uh, the nominal value of all sorts of goods would be greater, but their real value would be precisely the same as before. So, right, because if the value of um, silver goes down, the nominal value of all sorts of goods would be greater, right, because like inflation, when there's more of the silver, the value of it will go down. So that means that, whereas at one time, one ounce of silver would buy a cow, right, now you need two ounces of silver to buy a cow. The, the real value of it is uh, the nominal value, or the money value would be greater, but their real value is precisely the same. I hope, I hope that makes sense. It does to me. They would be exchanged for a greater number of pieces of silver. There you go, like I just said. But the quantity of labor which they could command, the number of people whom they could maintain and employ would be precisely the same. The capital of the country would be the same though a greater, and he's talking about the actual capital of the company, the produce of the land and the labor of mankind. The capital of the country would be the same, though a greater number of pieces might be requisite for conveying any equal portion of it from one hand to another. The deeds of assignment, like the conveyances of a verbose attorney, would be more cumbersome, but the thing assigned would be precisely the same as before and could produce only the same effects the funds for maintaining productive labor being the same, the demand for it would be the same. Its price or wages, therefore, though nominally greater, would really be the same. They would see, it's it's interesting because the, the price is actually the same. It's just because, you could look at it this way, just because they have more silver going around, right? They're like, yeah, oh, we can spare more. But like uh, it's, it, There's more of it in circulation. So even though, the the things produced and the labor is exactly the same and produces the actual same things. Like for example, the same labor laborers could only build a house in the same amount of time by cutting down a certain amount of trees. Let's say you needed twenty logs to build a house and it takes a certain amount of time to do it. Let's just say one day, right? It would still take them twenty logs and one day to do it with the same amount of labor force, right? But instead of paying, you know, a hundred pieces of silver for it, you're paying two hundred. And so that shows that the actual value of the labor is still exactly the same, right? Because the same exact, the real value, the produce of the land, the trees, right? And the labor of mankind, the using of those trees, logs to build a house is exactly the same. It takes the same time and the same amount of materials and everything like that. But just because there's more silver in circulation, that's why they're they're being paid more. But it's not actually worth any more and this is the arbitrary value of precious metals that things people don't understand it's always changing based off of its its availability and so it has really no worth beyond just representing something because then what happens when there's less silver let's just say for example um, the silver is being used in technology like in nowadays or something like that and it's being used up at a rapid pace and so all of a sudden there's a lot less of it to go around. Then all of a sudden that silver being more scarce would drop back down to the original value of, of those 100 silver pieces being for, to build that, those, those houses um, with the same 20 logs and the same day long and the same laborers to do it. It wouldn't change any of what's being produced at the real value, right? The real value is getting those logs from the, from the trees of the land, the produce of the land, and the same labor of humankind to build them. It's exactly the same. And this is the thing to keep in mind, and also the understanding of what value actually is, right? Things that are wanted, needed, and or useful, which is food, shelter, clothing, fresh air, clean water, healthy, right? So those things remain the same. And we got to remember how arbitrary it actually is for the prices of things to change. They're not, uh, it doesn't change because something becomes less or more actually valuable. They're still the same value to people. It's just that the, the availability of scarcity. This is like, one, you know, uh, economics 101, supply and demand. Uh, and so it, you got to realize that, and, and this is how uh, the value of precious metals, diamonds, and things like that can be uh, manipulated by withholding them. And you can manipulate the entire global economy because everybody depends on this gold standard, for example, and so you withhold certain things, and therefore it seems to become more valuable all of a sudden. So now a diamond that De Beers, um, you know, if De Beers was putting out 100 diamonds a year, I know it's a lot more than that, but then they decide to only put out 50, all of a sudden the value of diamonds goes up by twice as much or even more. But it's really not worth any more. It really doesn't do shit any more than it did before because it's an inert fucking rock. And the only thing that it can do is the same thing that it did before. It's just that they make it seem like it's scarce. This kind of manipulation goes all around all the time um, by what some people call crony or predatory capitalism and things like that, rather than free market capitalism. Although the other day, um, I hit a wall in some understanding just realizing how really fucking useless a lot of this shit really is. But that's another story for another day. Let me continue. Uh, The deeds of assignment... Like the conveyances of a verbose attorney would be more cumbersome, but the thing assigned would be precisely the same as before and could produce only the same effects. The funds for maintaining productive labor being the same, the demand for it would be the same. Its price or wages, therefore, though nominally greater, right? The price of or wages, therefore, though nominally, like in number, greater, right? Because it's just the amount of coins being given because they're more abundant, they're more available, right? Would really be the same. They would be paid in a greater number of pieces of silver, but they would purchase only the same quantity of goods, right? This is what happens with inflation, right? You're paying more for something, but they only purchase the same quantity of goods, so it's really just a nominal, the number of them that's being paid. Continuing, the profits of stock would be the same, both nominally and really. The wages of labor are commonly composed by the quantity of silver which is paid to the laborer. When that is increased, therefore, his wages appear to be increased, though they may sometimes be no greater than before. But the profits of stock are not, accompanied, are not computed by the number of pieces of silver with which they are paid, but by the proportion which those pieces bear to the whole capital employed. Thus, in a particular country, Five shillings a week are said to be the common wages of labor and 10% the common profits of stock. But the whole capital of the country being the same as before, and you start with the capital of the country, the the, pro, the produce of the land and the, the labor of humankind, right, is the same, right? The whole capital of the country being the same as before, the competition between the different capitals of individuals into which it was divided would likewise be the same. They would all trade with the same advantages and disadvantages. The common proportion between capital and profit, therefore, would be the same, and, and consequently, the common interest of money what can commonly be given for the use of money being necessarily regulated by what can commonly be made by the use of it. Any increase in the quantity of commodities annually circulated within the country, while that of the money which circulated them remained the same, would, on the contrary, produce many other important effects besides that of raising the value of the money, right? So uh, now, um, going back to productive and unproductive things, right? So if, money was more employed in hiring people and making use of the produce of the land, right, with that labor of mankind. And the, the products, right, the things that were produced, right, became more common. Like if the, core, the, the quantity of commodities annually circulated within the country right the increase in the quantity of commodities annually circulated within the country so if more valuable things or produced things that people want need and can use if those things were increased right then you would have more of those things and the value of money would be increased because now you have more of those things and you have the same amount of money but now that money will buy those same things and so the, the, the money itself now seems to be more valuable. But again, these are just simple manipulations. Reading again, any increase in the quantity of commodities annually circulated within the country, while that of the money which circulated them remained the same, would on the contrary produce many other important effects besides that of raising the value of, of the money. Right, Because the value of the money now can buy more things because more things are in, in, in circulation. Again, supply and demand on the other end, changing things up. But because you ha- because what would happen is that when these things are more in abundance, the price of them goes down. And so that's what it means by it raising the value of money. This, this often happens when there's more things like, you know, all those sales and things that happen right in stores when they're trying to get rid of their excess inventory and you can get it for much less money. That raises the, That's what meant by raising of the value of money in this case, where the commodities annually circulated are increased, but the, but the amount of money that circulated remained the same, you see? So this is another way that that happens. Continuing, the capital of the country, though it might nominally be the same, would really be augmented. It might continue to be expressed by the same quantity of money, but it would command a greater quantity of labor. Right, see, it qu- commands a greater quantity of labor, the same money being there, but it's commanding a greater quantity of labor it, because they're producing more. They have more materials to use the produce of the land, and therefore now instead of those people um, having 20 logs to work with, right, now they have 40 logs to work with. So now they're, t- they're producing uh, two houses in two days instead of one house in one day, but that's more labor happening, right? So now they don't get as many days off, as much time off, right? But So it's commanding more labor because there's more commodities in circulation. The raw materials will pitch to build and, do, and make other things with. So now they're building more houses. There's more labor being employed, but it's the same money that's being paid to them. And so this is another thing, too, that happens. If you're working more and more productive and getting more things done and putting more things out there into the market, it's kind of like... Even though you're producing more, and the capital of the country increases, they have more stuff. The people seem to be getting paid less for it, whereas before they were getting paid that 100 pieces of silver for the making that house with 20 locks. Now they're only getting paid that same 100 pieces of silver to produce two houses, whereas before they they were only they were getting paid that to produce one and less time for it. So um, it might continue to be expressed by the same quantity of money, but it would command a greater quantity of labor the quantity of productive labor which it could maintain and employ would be increased and consequently the demand for that labor. Its wages would naturally rise with the demand and yet might appear to sink. They might be paid with a smaller quantity of money, but that smaller quantity might purchase a greater quantity of goods than a greater had done before. See, so still now again, there's another thing there because they're producing more and it seems like they're getting paid less, but their money still also buys more. The value of the money goes up, so it causes the price of things to go down. More things are going into circulation, the price of things goes down, people are producing more, but they're able to buy more with that money. This is the, 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 the little details to look at. And you know what's interesting about that is it's a note for people to in general be more productive as days go on adding more plus ones in my integer analogy that i often use rather than any zeros or minus ones we we are productive as possible as earl nightingale says in his strangest secret recording from 1956 is like when you build work dream and create and put value out there into the world you may not get a reception or a return of your value from those who you directly serve but you will get it back in some way there's no way that you cannot for that is the law the law of the universe the law of of uh, reciprocation you know um there's so many things that go in, and now i'm getting to a little bit of uh of new thought metaphysics but um but i've also noticed this myself by constantly being productive not in frivolous things but in things that i enjoy uh, going along the lines of the idea, do what you love and the money will follow. But doing productive things that I love. Fortunately, I do things that I at least think to myself are, are valuable. So things like uh, training, exercising, eating healthy, reading lots of books, sharing ideas with people, um, publishing these things for people to to hear, read, watch, so on and so forth. And objectively, other people have told me that it's valuable. So I don't have any other reason to believe that it's not <laughs> that it's, it's not. I didn't mean to say it's not. That it is not. Although um, haters will have you believe that the things that you do are not valuable, um, but they can. Well, you know what they can do. The profits of stock would be diminished both really and in appearance. All right, so I'm going to back up a little bit. They might be paid with a smaller quantity of money, but that smaller quantity might purchase a greater quantity of goods than a greater had done before. because there's more things in circulation. The profits of stock would be diminished both really and in appearance. The whole capital of the country being augmented, the the competition between the different capitals of which it was composed would naturally be augmented along with it. The owners of those particular capitals would be obliged to content themselves with a smaller portion of the produce of that labor which their respective capitals employed. The interest of money, keeping pace always with the profits of stock, might in this manner be greatly diminished, though the value of money or the quantity of goods which any particular sum could purchase was greatly augmented or increased. So interesting thing that can happen by people in general being more productive in many ways, sharing things, building things, trading things, uh, will actually lower interest rates of borrowing money if they needed to. Now, it might also lower the interest rates when you put money into saving, but now you can, it doesn't matter because you're still getting things at less expensive rates just simply because in your own activities, you're producing more. Of course, this is in theory, but I've also seen it happening in practice in my own life by just simply being more productive. It pays off so many dividends. And, and you can start to evaluate what's more productive on your own terms, but productive, I look at it in things that are wanted, needed, and useful. An idea and understanding also comes from Earl Nightingale, The Strangest Secrets, which put into practice, seems to me at least, to be paying off in great dividends. Wanted, needed, and useful. Scratching other people's itches. uh, Solving problems. What do people need? Do they need to feel healthier, look better um, in general? And I think that that also starts that, that form should follow function and not the other way around that if you do more with your time, you can be more. So, all right, so here we go. The profits of stock, the interest of money, uh, keeping pace always with the profits of stock, might in this manner be greatly diminished, though the value of money or the quantity of goods which any particular sum could purchase was greatly augmented or increased, right? Almost done, i got just one and a half pages left here. Uh, in some countries, the interest of money has been prohibited by law but as something can everywhere be made by the use of money, something ought everywhere to be paid for the use of it. So he's making a case that interest should be allowed to be um, imposed upon the borrowing of money because uh, because some, as something can everywhere be made by the use of money, can, that's a key thing, if, if, it's, if it's invested in materials and labor and things like that, right? So he's saying something ought everywhere to be paid for the use of it. This regulation, instead of preventing, has been found from experience to increase the evil of usury, the debtor being obliged to pay not only for the use of the money but for the risk which his creditor runs by accepting a compensation for that use. He is obliged, if one may say so, to insure his creditor from the penalties of usury. In countries where interest is permitted, the law, in order to prevent the extortion of usury, generally fixes the highest rate which can be taken without incurring a penalty. The rate ought always to be somewhat above the lowest market price, or the price which is commonly paid for the use of money by those who can give the most undoubted security. If this legal rate should be fixed below the lowest market rate, the effects of this fixation must be nearly the same as those of total prohibition of interest. The creditor will not lend his money for less than the use of its worth, and the debtor must pay him for the risk which he runs by accepting full value of that use. And some, it seems here that the use of this money, right, is the interest of it the, that's being paid, and the value that's being made of that is is an estimation of how much a person can make in profit by the borrowing of that money. It is fixed it is fixed precisely at the lowest market price. It ruins with honest people who respect the laws of their country, the credit of all those who cannot give the very best security and obliges them to have recourse to exorbitant usurers. In a country such as Great Britain, where money is lent to government at 3% and to private people upon good security at four and four and a half, the present legal rate 5% is perhaps as proper as any. The legal rate it is to be observed, though it ought to be somewhat above, ought not to be much above the lowest market rate. If the legal rate of interest in Great Britain, for example, was fixed so high as eight or 10%, the greater part of the money which was to be lent would be lent to prodigals and projectors who alone would be willing to give this high interest. Sober people who will give for the use of money no more than a part of what they are likely to be to make by the use of it would not venture into the competition. A great, so again, investors are not going to borrow when the interest rates are high. A great part of the capital of the country would thus be kept out of the hands, which were most likely to make profitable and advantageous use of it and thrown into those which were most likely to waste and destroy it. So this is making a point here again that people who are usually going to waste money and not on, on frivolous things when they borrow it like fashion, clothing, clothing, uh, certain luxuries that have no use or anything like that are the ones more likely to borrow at high interest rates, whereas those who are most likely to be productive with it are not because they don't see the value of making any profit with it. Where the legal rate of interest, on the contrary, is – fixed but a very little above the lowest market rate, sober people are universally preferred as borrowers to prodigals and projectors. The person who lends money gets nearly as much interest from the former as he dares to take from the latter, and his money is much safer in the hands of the one set of people than in those of the other. A great part of the capital of the country is thus thrown into the hands in which it is most likely to be employed with advantage no law can reduce the common rate of interest below the lowest ordinary market rate at the time when that law is made notwithstanding the edict of 1766 by which the french king attempted to reduce the rate of interest from five to four percent money continued to be lent in france at five percent the law being evaded in several different ways the ordinary market price of land it is to be observed depends everywhere upon the ordinary market rate of interest the person who has A capital from which he wishes to derive a revenue without taking the trouble to employ it himself deliberates whether he should buy land with it or lend it out at interest. The superior security of land, together with some other advantages which almost everywhere attend upon this species of property, will generally dispose him to content himself with a smaller revenue from land than what he might have by lending out his money at interest. These advantages are sufficient to compensate a certain difference of revenue but they will compensate a certain difference only and if the rent of land should fall short of the interest of money by a greater difference nobody would buy land which would soon reduce its ordinary price this is interesting one of the founding ideas of real estate purchasing Um, on the contrary if the advantages should much more than compensate the difference everybody would buy land which again would soon raise its ordinary price again supply and demand right and also at play here when interest was at 10%, land was commonly sold for 10 and 12 years' purchase. As interest sunk to 5, 6, and 4%, the price of land rose to 25, to twenty-five and 20, and 30 years' purchase. That's that's where uh, mortgages are at now, right? 25, 30 years. That's why they call it a mortgage, M-O-R-T, death, gauge, engagement, and engagement till death. And that's why it's also a life sentence, right, in prison. It's 25, right? They say 25 to life. As interest rate sunk to 6, 5, and 4%, the price of land rose to 25 and 20 and 30 years purchase. The market rate of interest is higher in France than in England, and the common price of land is lower. So when the interest is higher, right, the common price of land is lower. In England, it commonly sells at 30, in France at 20 years purchase. All right. That is it for that there, uh, Got Tony over here and a couple people over on uh, Wisdom. I don't know if anybody wanted to share anything or say what's up, but I'm um, welcome to. Any point, up, on, let, me take, let me take this off for once I get Tony.
1: You hear me okay, brother?
0: And you're on, yeah. How you doing?
1: Hey, man. Wow, you hear me okay?
0: Yes, I can hear you. Just one.
1: Cause you're coming through my speaker. I can't tell, I don't know, man, I'm speaking into my phone, but you're coming out my Bluetooth speaker.
0: I, I I can hear you just fine.
1: Okay, cool. Um, so you know what the first thing that this whole speech, it brought to mind two things that one thing we discussed and another thing that just popped in my head. Uh, you, you and I had a conversation several months back about, uh, the futility of loaning money and um, and how much you you just detested it and um, yeah I mean did you did you just go down this rabbit hole yeah just give it right right exactly it just it didn't line up with your logic to uh, to attach usury to you know to money Yes. And in and, and exchange, uh, it's, it's more like, you know, here, I got it. Fucking take it. I may not have it later. And, you know, don't read anything into it. Don't give it back at right. a later date. Um, Did you just have, are you just going down this rabbit hole? Um, you know, to explore you know, free market capitalism. Is that what this is?
0: Yeah, I mean, my, my ideas about that hasn't changed. I mean, I just helped a friend not too long ago where I gave them uh, basically $400 in order to um, have a place to stay, and I don't expect to get it back, and I, I never do. I mean, I, and right. I had to get, I mean, I was like, get the fuck out of here. You're encroaching on my time and my ability <clears throat> to do the things that I want to. So here's the money. Um, have a place to stay, fix your car, all that, but I got to go. And I don't expect to see it ever again. Right on. Well,
1: the other thing that popped in my head was is a line from, uh, was it Hamlet or Macbeth? I can't remember. It's Shakespeare. Um, the character's name was Polonius. And he was, uh, I want to say, yeah, it was Hamlet. Because Polonius was, um, uh, what's... What's the girl that threw herself in the river? I don't know.
0: I don't think I've I've ever paid attention to Hamlet or anything like that, so I wouldn't know. I mean, I'm not a big Shakespeare fan necessarily, so I don't really know anything about any of the works of Shakespeare beyond what the names of some of them are.
1: I see. I see. Well, I have always found it very enriching. Um, Shakespeare. It's it's another language. It's, It's like the... The King's English, and if you if you uh, if you just listen, you get it. Kind of like what you're doing here. If I, if I if I just shut up and listen, I I get a good lesson on. You
0: know, I mean, I read the written. King James version of the Bible too because it um, I can understand it pretty clearly. So really, I like the way it's written. Yeah, it's pretty easy for me to understand.
1: That's. Um, That's the one version, or that is one version of the Bible that I kind of have an aversion to. Um, But that kind of lines, that's kind of more in line with, it's left, that's, that, the people that subscribe to that translation left a bad taste in my mouth. Okay. Because of, yeah. I read from the uh, New American version of the Catholic Bible um, I read the Torah I read the Kabbalah I read the Bhagavad Gita you know you name it wherever wherever I find inspiration you know the I Ching yeah but I don't know that's all that That's all I had. What else are you
0: doing today? Um, I'm going to get something to eat, and then I don't know. I might just go to sleep. I have no idea. I picked up my sister from the airport today. I I took her to the airport on uh, Thursday. She went to go to a Drake concert in North Carolina, and then I picked her up uh, today at 3 o'clock and brought her back home. Got here by 5 o'clock, and um, now I'm just uh, taking it easy for a little while.
1: Cool. Yeah, I
0: man,
1: I, um, and... I had a, you ever heard the, you ever heard the expression, the cobbler's son has no shoes?
0: No, but it sounds interesting.
1: Well, cobbler's basically, yeah, exactly. Basically, it's like whatever trade you happen to work in, don't expect that to be, um, showcased in your home. huh At this point in my life, I'm an AC service technician Yeah. and my air conditioning went out today (laughs) at four o'clock this morning (laughs) and that was what I spent my off day doing, six in my fucking AC and I just got it working. I've been doing it, working on it since four o'clock this morning. Well, at least you got it working. Yeah. But it was those dollar signs that I was seeing. You know, yeah. that kept me uh, kept me working towards a solution. You know, it's easy to do for other people. It, it's easier to do for other people, but when you're talking about doing it for yourself, it's easy just to sweep it under the rug.
0: But you know, why she wouldn't pull. have that? You could. Um, I'm. Packing up here. I don't know if Sicily Marie Goose wanted to say anything or Amanda, but um, I'm just wrapping this up here. Sicily, um, did you want to say something? If not, that's fine. Um, like I said, I'm I'm packing up and I'm gonna go chill for a little while. Um, there she goes. Oh no! Bye bye. All right.
1: Ophelia. That's right, Amanda. That's Ophelia, and Ophelia's Ophelia. father was Polonius. And her 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 brother was Horatio, is that right?
2: Mm, I think so. If I remember.
1: The one that killed Hamlet in the end. Good night, sweet prince, and let and may flights of angels sing thee to thy rest.
2: <laughs>
1: hey Sicily.
2: Hey, how you doing?
1: Good, good to see you
2: yeah I didn't really have much to say I was just thinking about how interesting it is that we put so much value on gold and silver but it's really dictated by the people around us thinking about how way back in the day the natives would just give away precious stones because they did not see value in them
0: yeah, they would just hand it to him because it, it, yeah, it was had no value to them. Just like here, these big giant rocks. Yep.
2: Yeah. So it's like, so what actually has value in this world? And it boils down to the simplicity of life.
1: Yeah.
2: Living life simply. Enough food to eat place to stay fresh water
1: and air conditioning
2: <laughs> and air conditioning but if you have people that work in the fields that are needed yep. you can get anything fixed
1: oh that's a fact yeah it's all so, you know
2: it's all in who you know <laughs> But yeah, that's all I had to say.
0: Well, I appreciate you.
2: No problem.
1: Bye, um, guys. Bye, Kim.
2: All
0: right, have a good night. All right, you have a good night, too. Amanda, uh, are you just sitting there chilling or wanted to say hi? All right. Well, you've been listening to Wealth Attract. Oh, there she goes. Hey, Amanda. <coughs> you can unmute are in the caller's queue. All right. And there goes Amanda. All right. Well, you've been listening to Wealth Attraction Research, W.A.R. Stock Interest, presented by Hakeem Alibakis Alexander on Spreaker. Social Podcasting, Wisdom, Social Audio Inc., and Call-In Social Podcasting, presented for World Reading Club in association with ExercisingYourMind.com and Uniquilibrium.